Good evening. Today is Tuesday, September 5th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter step is chapter eight, and our speaker tonight is Kendall M. Thank you, Kendall. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Uh, in just a brief moment, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay. Uh, thank you. Hello, my name is Kendall. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I want to, just before I begin, I want to reiterate that I owe my recovery, the totality of my recovery, to my higher power, whom I call God, and without whom none of this is possible for me today. Um, the 12 steps as outlined in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous, and all of you, you all make this possible for me. Um, my sponsor reminds me pretty often to keep it simple and to talk about the steps and to talk about God. So that's what I'm going to do um, to the best of my ability. Um, also to share that this is, a, this is a study of one. This is my experience. Your mileage may vary. It has been my experience that when I take direction from my sponsor, when I take direction with the steps and I bring my everything to my higher power, this is, uh, it's the best I can offer. Uh, and so, and I hope that someone connects to something that I share. Um, just some basic stats. Um, you know, yesterday made two years of continuous abstinence for me uh, and of a weight, uh, weight loss release of 135 pounds from my highest weight of 464. Um, I came into this program in November, uh, November 11th, 2021. Uh, and just as in terms of those stats, I took back my will September 3rd, 2021 and reset and or started a new clock on September 4th, 2021. And so the time I mention it, it's, it demonstrates to other people that the program works but the gift for me is a daily reprieve by God's grace. Um, now to discuss step eight and specifically step eight, which is actually really difficult, particularly in how it's structured in the big book about Alcoholics Anonymous to only talk about step eight. I will talk about my experience starting from step one and mention each spiritual concept as outlined by the, as Overeaters Anonymous. So step one, and just as what brought me to the rooms in terms of step one is the, the spiritual concept of honesty. Uh, honesty for me is the bedrock of my recovery. Without it, none of this stands because the first thing I learned how to do in my life before I picked up the food was to lie. The first thing I did in my life was lie about how things were going, what people thought about me, what I thought about other people, and so that I could protect myself. That's my understanding of the world was I lied and I had a PR campaign that tells me that everyone else is wrong and I'm right. My PR campaign is constantly judging other people. It's judging people's programs. It's judging how much someone knows, how much they don't know, when they make mistakes, if they do something better than I did it. I'm constantly setting up myself with these expectations in my life. Um, so to begin, in terms of just 
in reference to the literature, the lines that are important to me, uh, again, uh, on page 58, it says, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the civil program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. My lack of honesty with myself is what brought me to my knees. Uh, two years before I entered program, uh, well, I'm sorry, three years before I entered program in 2018, I went into diabetic ketoacidosis. My blood sugar was outrageous. Uh, my A1C was outrageous. And a doctor told me, you know, if you show up here again, you're probably going to die. And I went and I binged two weeks later. Uh, and I started manipulating insulin. I started titrating my own antidepressants. I was a Dr. Bob. Uh, I was a Dr. Bob with, uh, with food. Uh, with food and drugs. And so I started playing with those games and trying to make things look a certain way. And it took me two more years uh, to come to program. And uh, I mentioned that because when that, that line is really important because uh, I also had to be, as it says in the text, um, you know, it demands rigorous honesty and many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. That is three times in the first paragraph of how it works that honesty is the most important thing for me. Um, and I say that it's because the next paragraph, it says, if you decided what you want, that if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. So actually, before I took step three, the first place that I made a decision was to work the steps. That is the first place that I'm making a decision to turn my life to anything. I, I know I'm beat. When I came to the program, I know I'm beat. The game is over. I can't play games with food or the unmanageability of life. I have to do something or I'm going to die. I use that language because it is not hyperbole for me. I was certain that I was going to die before I came to these rooms. I was headed out. I never ideated publicly, but I'd often said to myself, no one would care if I was gone. I was eating to leave. That was just true. And November 11th, 2020, that changed for me. I don't know how. I'm just thankful it did. Um, and so that reference on, so that's the first place that I made a decision. But on page 59, it says, may you find God now, right? So may you find God now doesn't mean later. It doesn't mean next week. It means literally right now when I read the steps. The most important thing that I do every day is to get into the present moment. There's nothing behind me or in front of me that's more important than right now being in this room with you, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. Because I'm told that if I am rigorously honest, I have immunity from the disease of compulsive overeating. I am free of the disease in the present moment. I'm in recovery right now. And so when I work the steps, it is about right now. It is a course of action. And so that's part of the step one experience, of course, includes being powerless over food. I had to, for me, I took sponsor direction and weighed and measured my food. I don't want to make it about the food. I want to talk about God. But because the most important thing for me is that I weighed and measured my food, I fired myself from all of those decisions. Uh, I was no longer in the decision-making business around my food. I'm not a plumber. I don't fix toilets. I'm not a mechanic. I don't fix cars. I do not fix my food. I cannot make that decision by myself. I'm just fully incapable of it. I wish I could. I wish I, you know, of course, I wanted to, just as it says in the text, 
to drink without impunity, without getting caught. I've all, I never, for me, the concept of red, yellow, and green never worked because when I get to yellow lights, I speed up. I've never slowed down at a yellow. So for me, I have alcoholic foods and I have abstinent foods. That is my step one experience. And step two, when I talk about uh, in my step two, in the concept of hope, in coming to believe, I found that those places were in my sponsor who had recovery in the shares of people that had not just more than 100 or more pounds of weight loss. It was the fact that they didn't sound crazy. They sounded sane. They had reasonable relationships with their friends. They had families. They had repaired things that I thought were unrepairable or irreparable. Uh, so that was me coming to believe. Um, but then also the tools, the tools provided me the spiritual concept of hope because every time I used a tool, I didn't pick up the food. When I call people, I don't eat. Every time I have told someone I'm on my way out, I'm going to leave program. I'm out of here. Uh, let's, let me just go to the fast food joint. I don't eat. Something happens that spring in my stomach releases and I make it to the next meal. And that was very important for me at the ground zero of that first day, day one to 90 days. Um, and really beyond when things come up in the world, the phone is one of the most important tools for me. But every time I use a tool, I don't eat. Um, but also the higher power, the God of my childhood was not going to cut it. The way I believed in that God was one that was punitive. It was one that if I just read the stuff that I should know what I needed to know to be powerful because I thought I was, I was lack of power was the dilemma, but I thought that the power was telling other people what to do. And so for me, God had to be everything because I was headed towards an early grave. And that again, as I said before, is not hyperbole. When you get to the weights that I have been to, when you have pulled muscles, taking a shower, when you've called off of work because you've binged, uh, and you just can't drive when you start stealing money uh, from when you start hiding money from your wife, uh, taking out extra cash at the gas station so I could buy extra food. When I start doing those low level things that I know are against my moral code, I know I'm in trouble. I'm in, I have a spiritual illness. And so for me, that step three of faith. On page 60 and through 62, I'm not going to do all of it, but in the place that I made a decision, my sponsor's suggestion was to write out things in I, me, and my language when looking at the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so in the, in the text that resonated with me, uh, I did that and it hit like a ton of bricks. So for instance, at the bottom of page 60, in the I, me, and my language, the first requirement is that I be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. That's been true my whole life. Self-will run riot. I've often called myself a people pleaser. For me and my experience in working the steps, that means I'm a kind manipulator. It means that I have transactional relationships with people when I'm in the food. If I do this thing for you, then you will be kind to me. You will validate me. You'll show me the love that I want. You'll show me the adoration. You'll give me the attaboy that I've really been deserving, that I think I deserve. Um, and so 
I'm like an actor who wants to run the whole show. I'm forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in my own way. And so I'm constantly orchestrating. I'm constantly trying to compose situations. Again, that PR campaign I talked about. So in step three, I've agreed to launch out on a, uh, with that I've, and when after taking step three, I've agreed to launch out on a course of vigorous action in step four. Meaning, and just for me, my sponsor also, uh, one of my particular character defects is often just this arrogance or just really know it all is. So my sponsor always has me look up words to make sure that I know what things actually mean in their context. And I don't just skim it or it doesn't you know, sound good. And so one of those things is vigorous. To be done with vigor means to carry it out forcefully and energetically, uh, full of physical or mental strength or active force, strong. Meaning I really am going after this thing to save my life. I was convinced in reading the steps that every step, it was forward towards my life or backwards towards death. What was it going to be? For me, I want to live. I no longer wanted to stop dying. I wanted to live when I started working the steps. And so when doing the work in step four, uh, I found, and again, just a summary, uh, I found that the biggest thing was my expectations and my wanting to control life and a fear and fear of failure, of abandonment and of security issues, but particularly not just social, but financial security were front and center in everything that I was doing. Step five was very important for me because admitting to another person and God out loud, only thing I can really say is it changed my life. That is where I had my spiritual experience and understood I was no longer alone in this world. And that's where I knew I started my real walk with my creator. I had finally accepted that, that I was accepting of God's grace and there was nothing I could do about it. God loved me. I couldn't push it away. I couldn't deny it anymore. I couldn't use it as a power against other people. That was my experience there in step five. In step six, step six, the, uh, sorry, just the, the spiritual concept of, of three is faith, four is courage. Step five is integrity. And step six is willingness. In the step of willingness, uh, I'll just read a few of my character defects that I found from looking at control, because this is what gets into the crux of step eight, because uh, some of those uh, character defects, self-righteous judgment, dishonesty, pride, ego, intolerance of other people's views, but particularly gossip, anger, aggression, sarcasm, which is just aggression as well. It's aggression. It's usually me belittling someone else's person, place, or idea and pushing it down. And honestly, it's one of the hardest ones for me to get rid of. I fancy myself a funny guy a lot, but when I use sarcasm, it's often putting someone else down. And it's something that I have to check on a regular basis. Um, vanity. Um, manipulation. That's five minutes left, Kendall. Thank you, Francesca. Um, and so pairing those things in taking step seven, I ask God to take all of me good and bad because in that, when to my creator, I have I ask that you have all of me, good and bad, because I don't know the difference between good and bad things when I give myself to God. My character defects are miraculously turned into assets when they're in the hands of my higher power. I don't know how God is going to use me to help someone else. 
if I have applied myself to the steps. And that is the step seven of humility. I've made myself right-sized. So it's getting right-sized with the world. It's letting go of expectations for what God will change in me. It's up to God and it happens on God's time. And it's another reminder, these character defects, I'm glad that it's called how it works and not how it feels. All of this felt terrible. Every single thing, going through these things and looking at the fact that I'd inserted myself in between into situations where I didn't need to be and then my feelings were hurt when I stepped on someone's toes. All of the situations that I saw in my four and five show up in my six. I'm asking God to take them away in step seven. And now we get to the crux of step eight. Um, the reason it's so difficult is they talk about step eight and nine together. So uh, only in discussing step eight, there's very few parts of the big book text that only talk about step eight by itself. And sometimes I had to break up the clauses in each, in each paragraph. So page 76, it says, in into action, it says, we have made a, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. In other words, all of the stuff I that came up for me in my steps four and five, I got to see what the wreckage was in my step eight. Looking at step eight and listing the people, places, and institutions, and what I did was the exact same feeling I had when I got to the third column of step four, which was what was my part. And it was like someone threw a ton of bricks on my feet. It was, it was painful to look at all of the things that I did. It was ego deflating, but it, it needed to happen. It was the truth of the situation because in step four, I made a moral inventory and moral doesn't just mean good or bad. It just means what's true. What are the patterns that showed up in my life? And so Again, I isolate the next part here because still of step eight, it's the debris which has accumulated out of my effort to live on self-will and run the show myself. Um, and I had to remember this line. That's two minutes, Kendall. Thank you, Francesca. Uh, remember, it was agreed at the beginning that we could go to any lengths for victory, that we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol or food or addiction. I said that I would do this no matter what, just like I put the food down no matter what. I'm saying I'm trusting God no matter what when I'm in step eight. And it's important for me to list, and you know, on page 76 and 77, we're just putting our life into order. I know I owed money, financial amends, but I'll wrap with the most important thing is, again, when I'm in step eight, I'm not in step nine. I'm just need to be willing to do whatever is necessary. I cannot allow myself to stop because I'm worried about step nine. I am a future tripper. I love to think about the future because I can change it all the time. But in the present moment, I have a very clear list in actions that have the next right thing to list what is necessary to be in my step eight. And that was really what was important to me. Because uh, my, my disease loves the future. It just loves it because I can. It's I can keep pushing it down the uh, down the court. But the last thing I would share on this is uh, uh, the last thing is that the text painfully in in actually in step four says we are willing to straighten out the past if we can, 
and we look on the people that we have resentments for as sick people, it is slowly walking me to the conclusion that in order to finish my step eight, as a previous speaker on this actually talked about, I have to have at least released my resentments towards other people to complete the work of step eight. Otherwise, everything else that I'm doing is not true. It is not right-sized with God. Um, I might not have love for them outwardly, but at least I had tolerance or I was at least neutral with them. Is that time? Thank you. I'll wrap with my, my last thought here on that is, again, I'm willing to go to any, and this is on page 79, willing to go to any length to have a spiritual experience. And that was a reminder of reinforcing the necessity to work the steps in order. And in other words, to carry each spiritual concept up the steps with me in order to have the power that is given to me by my higher power to do the next thing. All of these things are with me the entire way. And so with that, thank you for allowing me to share and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kendall. Um, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. And as this is a big book study, sharing a question should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept the guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Uh, Francesca, will you please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up? Uh, if the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Uh, so I see Amy's hand. Carla, are you going to call them or do I? You can go ahead, Maureen. Thank okay. You. Uh, Amy, uh, you can go first. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Carla, for your service. Francesca, for timing. Everyone for being here. And Kendall, thank you so much. Thank you tonight for your chair on step eight. Thank you for your constant um just uh, presence in this fellowship. Uh, I love listening to you talk about the steps. Um, I love the way you broke it down for us tonight. Um, the spiritual concepts and the way you brought us through. And I love when you said, I'm glad it's called how it works and not how it feels. Because there, well, I laughed out loud because I really like, there was a lot, especially the most recent time I went through the steps that really felt challenging. The kind of stuff that I had always wanted to run away from in the past. Um, but it feels also like, I don't know, it feels like it's about time, maybe. Uh, and, and again, thank you for pointing out that like, it's not step nine yet when we're in step eight. Cause I know when I first came in, I looked at step nine, like, hang on a second, but 
I wasn't at step nine yet. And there was another time a little bit later when I had been in for a while. I'd been abstinent for a while. I'd done the steps my way. Not really the big book way. And um, I was in a bit of a time of crisis uh, with regards to like fear around people that I loved in my life. And I went to a trusted fellow and I was like, I got to make amends. I got to make amends. And she was like, well, have you gone through the other steps before? And I was like, look, I've done, I've done them. I've done them, but I really need help making this amends. And she was like, I mean, the sweetness with which she like, told me like, oh, you sweet summer child. Um, doesn't work that way. We got to do them in order. And it doesn't matter how much I want to clean things up until I know what's my part, until I know how to let go of it, until I know all of those concepts that lead up to it. It's not going to be what it's meant to be. Um, and there was a lot of stuff in uh, I had a great experience in step eight with somebody who, when they first appeared on my list, I was like, nope, no interest in doing that. And I kind of, it wasn't somebody I saw a lot and it wasn't major. And I kind of, you know, I don't know that I forgot about it, but it just didn't come up. And then I ran into that person and whatever, God did something beautiful with the moment, but I realized that I had not practiced step eight. I had not asked for the willingness. Thank you, Francesca. I hadn't asked for the willingness. So of course it didn't work out. Every step in order. Kendall, thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Amy. Uh, now we have Leslie Kay. Hey, thanks, Maureen. Thank you for your service and everyone else too that's doing service tonight and every night. Um, my name is Leslie and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and I uh I'm back from uh three trips which have kept me um busy and sometimes centered and sometimes uncentered and sometimes um wishing I could do outreach when I couldn't um comfortably do it because I was in another country um, in a different time zone. And I, I missed this meeting. I, I, I think I've been back to this meeting once in seven weeks. Um, and everyone who's been here a long time knows that um, I got my abstinence back in this room. And uh, it's been very important to me to come to this meeting every night, Monday through Thursday. And to not have this as my touchstone was um, just a, a spiritual experience. <laughs> you know, there's just, there, everything, there's, everything can be reframed into something positive. And Kendall, that's what I heard in your share. I heard that you have found a way to, um, just dive in and and make this fellowship a beautiful, positive experience for you. Um, and I'm really grateful to have heard you tonight. Um, I I I one thing I've noticed is that I I am not getting any outreach calls 
from this group and I haven't been making any because you guys have thought I was gone. So I have my my uh, number on the screen and I'm asking for outreach. I need to get reconnected to you. I need to know that you're there. Um, it's really like being in a in a, a wasteland when you're away from something that that fills your heart space so much. Um, and it's partially self-imposed because I could have made outreach calls from Spain, but uh, I wasn't on an international plan, so I would have had to text and WhatsApp. And, and I did do that, and I listened to uh, speaker recordings, and that was all good. But there's nothing like being here with all of you. And I'm just so grateful to be back. Thank you for letting me check in and share and let you know that I, I am very grateful to all of you for still being here. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leslie. Um, and I'd like to encourage um, anyone who would like outreach or to um, give out their number, please put it in the chat. Uh, next, we have Claudine. Hello, I'm Claudine B, compulsive, recover compulsive eater. Uh, Kendall, thank you so much. I was um, really excited to hear that you were sharing on step eight tonight. And so many things resonated with me when you said I was eating to leave. That was just incredible because I would have said before recovery and before spiritual awakening that I had, you know, I would wake up every day disappointed, just disappointed that I wasn't with God. I didn't have some, you know, as I say, do you have a plan or anything like that? And I didn't, but it, but when you said I was eating to leave, I realized that there was some subconscious plan because I was eating myself to death. And I was destroying every part of my life. And I just, that was such an impact, that statement. So I really appreciate that. Um, today, I wake up so thankful. I have breath in my lungs. I mean, truly, deeply thankful. And I never thought that would happen. Never, ever, ever. So that was one thing. And then the God of my childhood was not going to cut it. I mean, that is that is absolutely the truth that he had to be fired because that was not God. That was not God's voice. That wasn't, that wasn't anything hopeful or good. And it, it has made all the difference in the world. And then it, as someone else said, I'm glad it's how it works and not how it feels. Just this morning, I was thinking I was spiraling about something and I went to God and it was like, and I thought, what if feelings were facts? I mean, what if that was really true? We would be hosed. I mean, if every feeling we had was a fact, oh my gosh. Anyway, um, I loved your share. I love hearing you. And I am so grateful that you were here tonight. So I pass. Thank you, Claudine. Next we have Cindy up. Hey everyone, my name's Cindy, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, where are you, Kendall? My new OA friend. I just love you. <laughs> My buddy. And um, I just really loved your share. It was, you're just such a bright light. And I loved how you, you took us on your journey through the steps. And 
Um, I did have a question though. Is that okay to ask a question? Um, I'm going to assume it is unless someone says no. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but Kendall, you, you talked about, you said when you were in the food, you talked about people pleasing, how that was, um, one of your main, um, I call them defaults of character for myself, but, um, and then there was something else too. Oh, the neutrality around once you made your amends, the resentments. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that can't be true. And and for me, it's gotten a lot, a lot better. I will say that. But I still find myself um people pleasing sometimes. I still have fears. And I and I've I've done a lot of work around some family members in, in my life. I, I grew up with two very violent, abusive alcoholics. And um, it's not been easy to let those resentments go, quite honestly. I'm just not there. And so I wondered if you um, could sh maybe speak to those two things specifically, like if there's something that you do in particular that could be helpful, you know, to a girl like me, for example. <laughs> but thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, where'd you go, Cindy? Okay. Thank you for the question. Um, so for me, what do I do about the people pleasing? For me, one of the things that I have to do rather one of the things I choose to take action on is some of the languaging I have to, for me, and this is just from, this is my, my, this is my experience. Your mileage may vary. For me, I don't use the term people pleasing anymore. I call it kind manipulation because I do, my motives are good. Oftentimes I want good things for people. At least I think so. But what I do is try to do things for other people. I try to anticipate their needs. I came from a very high anxiety home where I didn't feel like my feelings were safe. And if I could just make sure that everybody was happy, they would leave me alone. They would leave me to go into the fantasy and the, of reading books or movies or music and ultimately leave me alone to numb with food, to stuff my feelings. And so for me, I had these expectations that if I did these things, they would treat me right. And what I learned in my step work was my experience was that I was trying to get unconditional love from humans. People are not capable of loving me how my higher power does. I was attributing the sins of my parents to the sins of the creator. And I, that, I can't, I know that people aren't capable of that anymore. So what I have to do is a 10 step when I find myself people pleasing, I have to see where the self seeking is. I have to ask God to take it. I call someone. I make sure I don't owe an amends and then I get into service. So service dials up really high when I start trying to help other people. I have to go help myself by helping other compulsive overeaters. Um, but specifically, another thing, this is related to recovery because of what it's, what the steps don't tell us to do particularly is uh, one of the things my therapist actually told me is, is this the way, W-A-Y, who asked you? So when I'm in people-pleasing mode, if someone didn't ask me to do something, I don't do it. Even if I really want to, even if I think it's going to help them, even if I think it might save their life. I have compulsive overeaters in my family. Even if I, it's none of my business, 
if I, because if I do it and I try to, if I try to make them do it, I'm not going to be, as the text tells us, I'm going, I might ruin an opportunity to be useful, to carry the message. If I try to force myself upon someone else. So now I have to start looking at people. So that's what I do. I have to look at people pleasing as a form of manipulation that might be benevolent. It might even be a good thing, so to speak, but I'm taking away their will. I'm taking away their choice. And so I hope that helps. You're muted, Maureen.